episode is brought to you by Squash Clothing and Sugar Life. Welcome to the Overly Excited Podcast, hosted by Jack Watts and Dale Sidebottom. Two friends with a passion for life, learning... And all things that get them jumping out of their seats. <laughs> all right, everyone. Welcome back. Episode number seven of the Overly Excited Podcast. Really excited today for one of the most excitable guests going around. The name really suits the most calm, <laughs> relaxed inviting human being. Mello Clavaco, how are you, great man? I'm very well, thanks. I'm overly excited to be here. And I'm <laughs> I'm wondering what you guys are overly excited about. Well, just, 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 just living. See, just to see you, Mello. Now, <laughs> yeah. now, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, all the work you do in the coaching, in the mindful space, uh, working with corporates around burnout, stress, anxiety, all these different things. Um, but firstly, uh, I suppose Jack and myself wanted you on because the last few weeks, and we spoke about this in our last podcast, we've both been a bit stressed. We've had a bit on, a lot on our plate. Um, and I thought there's no better person to actually talk about this topic. So before we get in there, welcome to the overly excited arena. Um, what gets you excited, Mallow? Oh man, life. There's just, there's, there's so much in life that gets me excited. Travel is a big one. Like I love learning about cultures. I love going, putting myself out there in crazy places and learning. I love going to countries that don't speak English. So I have to learn to, you know, communicate. Um, yeah, travel, travel gets me excited the most, I think. And uh, living so far away, Australia is quite insular and isolated, you know, geographically from the rest of the planet. So Anytime I can get away, I get excited, even just planning a trip. Well, I could tell you're very good at uh, communication without sound, Mallow. When we first started the podcast and we couldn't <laughs> hear you and you just directed us beautifully to restart it again. So We're getting flustered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the old, that's the old log out, log back in again <laughs> that's the sign language works every time <laughs> now mellow we've got your book here mate obviously uh beating burnout and finding balance which is amazing and one of the things you talk about in your book which i know very well because i've read it um is traveling on your bicycle thirty thousand kilometers over five continents um and i know i've heard some of these stories before mate but uh what an experience and can you share a little bit with listeners because um as you just said traveling such a gratifying amazing experience but i don't think many of us have done it on a bicycle in and particularly i know you've done it like through africa and things like that which aren't always the safest spaces um what was that like mate yeah a life-changing experience yeah, in, in so many ways so for, even from the very beginning so when i was planning it there were six six of my mates that were planning to go cycle around the world and you know we we're training and you know, putting ourselves out there and learning how to use our bikes and to sleep and cook and all those sort of things and um, unfortunately, as we started getting the African maps out and the Indian maps out and, you know, looking at the Sahara Desert and the Congo, one by one, all of my mates dropped down on me. Yeah, yeah. And even right to the last minute, one good mate, we even, you know, would, yes, let's do it, let's do it, let's do it. And then they all dropped down on me one by one. So the first lesson was before I even left you know, to actually trust myself, to trust that I had the resources inside of me to deal with whatever was coming up. So that was the start of it all. And then along the way, as you can imagine, there's, there's, there's thousands of stories. And most people always ask about the, you know, the challenging things and the the hard things and the, you know, life-threatening things, which, as you know, Dale, we've talked about the experience with the machine gun in my ribs and, you know, all sorts of crazy stories. But what stands out to me the most in so many ways is actually the kindness of strangers you know the kindness of people around the world you 
you roll into on a bike into a, a country in Africa and they've got nothing at all. They've got no money at all. And all the little kids start chasing you and running behind you. And they sort of, you know, laughing and smiling. And then before you know it, you're in somebody's house. And before you know it, you're eating their local food and they're giving you everything. They even give you what they don't have. You know, they even spare themselves. So that's what really stood out to me. I think that's a great point. Like we're so quick to focus on the negatives, aren't we? And everyone's mm. asking you about the tough times and, oh, was it really hard? And you didn't have your own bed. And But to sort of, you know, change your focus um, onto, you know, as even the kindness of strangers, you know, off, you can find sort of around here in, in Melbourne and you sort of feel like people, well, I, I've certainly felt this, that, you know, I found it hard to, I guess we're pretty out there people. I love meeting new people. I love talking to people but sometimes I feel like I'm going over the top people don't want to talk to you people don't but they are out there people are out there in the world that want to help and um you just got to find them I guess yeah I was amazed honestly like usually I enter a village or a town or somewhere and I start playing with the kids because play is always a good thing as you know Dale that's your that's your jam you're saying all the right things so far mate (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) <laughs> and whether you're whether you're playing, you know, fun games and you learn their games, you play, you know, and then the parents actually see you playing with the kids and interacting and they think, oh, this guy must be you know, a nice guy. And then, like I said before, you know, I'm drinking yak butter tea in some some little Mongolian hut or Tibetan hut. And that, that's the, a nice way to enter a place. And the good thing about cycling and trekking around the world, it's you're part of the community. You know, it's a, it's very inclusive. You become the environment. It's not like you're sitting in a four-wheel drive or a bus and you're looking out the window when you're on a bike or you're trekking you're, you're in it and um, you're experiencing it first and all, all of the senses are alive and yes of course I got sick many times you know eat drinking yak butter tea and eating all those crazy foods that they offered me <laughs> um, I got you know very very ill but that's all part of it. What uh, what what did you do then? Because like I've uh, I've done most of Africa as you just said, not on a bike, on a bus, and I thought that was rough. Like the roads are so bad, and it's like oh, that was. I thought I was roughing it there, but um, yeah. we would each night pull into like a campground. There'd be a fence around it. I'd be safe, and I knew that. Whereas you're on a bike, you're in the elements, you're getting sick. Like yeah. what what was like? Just how did you deal with that? Like that's extreme traveling, mellow. Yeah, just just moment by moment. That's the only way you can deal with it. You know, I, I never would have left if I thought about all the bad things that would happen. Mm-hmm. I never would have left <laughs> if I thought about it would just be too much. So just as it comes, as it unfolds, as it as it happens. Yes, yes, there were nights there was you know you don't sleep because there are bandits around. Yes, there are nights that usually try to meet other people and and connect with other people most of the time to be honest I didn't even have to put my tent out because most people invited me into their homes like I said but when I was in my tent I was, I was either with other people you know meet up with other travelers you know, there's a lot of Canadians cycle around the world you meet up with Canadians and other Aussies and people but it is just taking it as it comes moment by moment and just trusting yourself and trusting that you know no matter what happens I found two things go a long way sense of humor you know, sense of humor goes a long way. You just sort of laugh and you joke. Sometimes somebody wants to kill you, you know, or steal <laughs> your glasses or something. But laugh, like honestly, laugh and make a joke out of it. And then before you know it, they're your best friends. And patience. Patience is a long game, especially in Africa. When you're when you're crossing borders, for example, they want to take your your jewelry, your shoes, your you know, necklace, your sunglasses, your partner, whatever. They want to take that off of you. But I just play 
play the game. I just get my cards out, literally play patience or play cards with somebody that I was traveling with. Eventually they come to and they give you the stamp to cross the border sort of thing. So patience and a sense of humor, two great things that helped me a lot. How, how long were you over there for? I traveled for about 18 months um, on my bike and traveling. And then I met um, my wife actually on the back of a truck crossing the Sahara Desert. Um, Amazing. <laughs> as, as you do, uh, she, she was a guide on a truck and I was you know traveling and there was an area where actually it was landmine area only. So you had to actually travel in a military convoy because there's landmines on either side through Mauritania and as you're entering Mali. And uh, I met her. So then after our travels or after my travels, then we actually traveled ourselves. We went up to the Himalaya and we trekked up in um, India and Ladakh for some time. And then we went out to Thailand and hung, our, hung ourselves up in a hammock for a while. So all together, probably traveled for four or five, six or seven years. I don't even know what it was in the end, just kept traveling. So, um, yeah. Wow, mate. That's uh, what a cool story. Now, I know you've obviously, uh, you're not traveling that much anymore because you're a super coach, mentor, speaker, in-demand <laughs> author. You've got all this. Um, but on a personal note, you've got a couple of daughters. Um and obviously your wife and yourself know the benefits of traveling and everything like that. Um, what do you share the messages with them? And do you sort of encourage them to go off and do what you did and experience that? Maybe not a machete in the back or a gun and things like that. <laughs> but um, what, what sort of message are you trying to educate and bring across to them? Yeah, it's a good question. I try to, especially like I said before, Australia is quite isolated and it's quite far away and disconnected from the rest of the world and we do have it quite good here so you know we're pretty comfortable almost a bit too comfortable so I try each year to take them out and get them out traveling and to take them to a developing country you know to different places my wife's Swiss so we go back to Switzerland which is also very affluent and, and rich but also take them out to places to see that other things exist you know there is more to life so you know, whether it is through Southeast Asia, you know, whether it is through, we took them to Africa a few years ago um, and they saw a bit of the good, the bad, the ugly, and um, just try to give them a bit more of a global minded look, you know, living in Australia, living in where I was living before was Brighton, a very, you know, sort of <laughs> white, you know, very affluent area. There's more to life than the Brighton bubble. Uh, and now I live out here on the Mornington Peninsula. Also, it's another bubble. You know, so I try to show them. That's where um, all the holiday houses of all the Brighton grammar students. Exactly. Jack know well. You've probably been to most of them. Yeah, probably. Yeah. <laughs> You're dead right. You're dead right. And they're both bubbles. They just travel from one bubble to the next bubble. Maybe <laughs> yeah. if they, they venture out, they go to Noosa for that bubble. You know, and they do that. Oh, how global are they? But... <laughs> exactly. But getting back to your question, I just try to show them, you know, and, and you know, my wife and I also have an orphanage in Tanzania that we look after with some other friends and uh, you know, just sort of show them how other children live and exist. And they get it, you know, they get it when they're out there. They they can see poverty and they can see, you know, the difference. And for me, it's about them making up their own mind, seeing it with their own eyes. I don't want to force it down their throat and say, you know, if you don't eat your dinner, you know, there's children in Africa, they're starving. I don't want to <laughs> that doesn't tell work. them. No, it doesn't work. I don't want to tell them. I want, I want to show them. Yeah. I just want to show them, you know, and they can make up their own mind from that. That's so like such an important point, isn't it? Like perspective. I think if you've never seen it before, it's hard to have that understanding or to have that appreciation of what we've got. Um, yeah. I remember we, we did South Africa when I was sort of 14 um, and going into some AIDS orphanages and seeing these kids who are, 
and they're the happiest kids in the world, but they don't have any parents. Yeah. They're in the, you know, um, they're in such tough conditions. And for me, like, and there's no running water, there's no clean water. They have to walk 10 Ks to go get their water and their food. And But if I had just grown up and lived in Sandringham all my life and, you know, food's on the table and the, you, I can get whatever I want, whenever I want. And you, you don't, and even I find now in my life at the moment, like you sort of have to continue to, um, you know, expose yourself to that kind of, um, you know, a different way of living to, to still, to not get comfortable, I guess, and complacent yeah. with what we've got. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we are so comfortable. We are so comfortable here. And sometimes, you know, we, we moan about our comfort. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, when I come back from a third world country or developing country, whenever I come back for the first couple of weeks, I sort of lock myself away a little bit. I go a bit insular because I've just come from a, a place where I've just seen death and sickness and people dying and a whole range of things and i come back here and i work with corporates and ceos and you know a whole range of executives and they might be complaining about the color of their curtains in in their port c sorrento home you know and it's, it's valid it's valid for them like it could be valid because it's true that's that is a proper first world problem for them but for me to put in perspective i just got to sort of shut away yeah, a little yeah. bit and, and transition the culture shock comes to me when i come back actually mm. do you find one. do you find that hard mellow to show empathy towards somebody caring about their curtains. <laughs> so, and this is realistically like who gives a shit about your curtains? Like from what you've just seen, particularly, you know, you go to a third world country or different things like that. Like they don't even worry about curtains. They worry about getting the next meal or where they're going to stay or like, yeah. it's just so bizarre. Oh, exactly. I do. But I still show empathy because it is valid for them. Like it is mm. valid. Like I get it. If they haven't seen anything else, it's it's a real problem for them. I just have to separate myself. I have to distance myself. I remember coming back from Africa and, and I was uh, traveling through Africa and I was actually not on my bike for some reason. I was waiting for a bus and I asked the lady you know, that was waiting at the bus stop. She had the you know, thing on her hair, some fruit on her head and a whole lot of things. When's the next bus? And you just, I don't know, like maybe, maybe tomorrow, maybe this afternoon, maybe whatever. And you just go with that flow, right? You just go with that flow and you said, okay, I'll just wait and see what happens. Chat with people. I usually ask three people. My rule is to ask three people. So, and that gives me a, a common denominator. And if someone says tomorrow, then it might be tomorrow. If two people say this afternoon, it might be this afternoon. <laughs> but, but I remember, but yeah, that's my rule for everything. But what, I remember coming back and I, I was coming back to Switzerland. And um, I was actually meeting another friend of mine in Switzerland. I was meeting her in a, a little village in a town. And I was supposed to be there on the 12-12 train, but I actually missed that one. And I was there at 12-27. And she was furious. She was furious. She was like, oh, my God, you missed the 12-12 train. And in, in Switzerland, they run by precision, absolute yeah. precision, right? <laughs> and I was like, she was she was really upset with me. She goes, I was expecting you at 12-12, and now it's 12-27. I'm, I'm like... 15 minutes late I was like oh my god they but for her it was valid like in her system the Swiss system is on time for yeah. me I just came back from Africa it was like oh my god so yeah. <laughs> what, any what any uh what's your recommendation if you could give us three destinations to travel to for to gain this sort of perspective that we're speaking about have you got yeah. three three locations for us probably a hard That's question a, isn't yeah. it it's Off such a big bad world isn't it it's so many uh, options yeah, there's such a big planet, isn't there? And and I guess, you know, to they're different for different reasons. Mm. Yeah, you know, in so many there's different 
countries for different reasons. I would say geographically, one of the things that one of the places that blew me away the most was the North Indian Himalaya. So that's it's a place called Ladakh. Ladakh's on the Tibetan plateau. It's quite isolated. It's pretty much closed off most of the winter because it's inaccessible. Yeah, you know, but during the summer months it's open. And the place is it's like a high altitude desert. Yeah. So you're trekking through these 6,000, 7,000 meter peaks and it's like a desert. And the people up there are, are beautiful. You know, the Tibetan background, Buddhist background, some of the purest forms of Buddhism are up there. Some of the monasteries are, are perched up on top of these mountains, which are inaccessible. So geographically and culturally, beautiful place. Um, like no other place I've been on earth. Um, Africa has so many different you know, uh, sorry, um, environments and, and places to it. People are all different from one place to another. One place that, that I did love was Cameroon. Uh, Cameroon was a beautiful place. Jungles and you know, pygmies. I, I spent some time with the pygmy villages and there. So I think if you want the jungle experience, that deep jungle in, in Cameroon and the Congo. Uh, so that's geographically, that's the jungle experience. What else have we got? The Sahara Desert, also for space, yeah, like absolutely. Um, it's, it was different to what I thought it would be. It, it, I love space and I like and I like isolation, but this was like really like isolated and traveling through there. I actually had to travel on the back of a truck there because it was military convoy area, but um, yeah, just traveling through there and just the vast expanse of that. So, oh, I could go on forever. We could yeah. have I could more. listen for. <laughs> I love it too. <laughs> oh, I'm just taking little notes. Cameroon next year, done. Yes, yeah, exactly. And challenge yourself. I love that what you said before, Jack, about you know seeking the uncomfortable a little bit. So getting out of your comfort zone. Go to places that nobody goes to. Go to places off the beaten track. It bothers me these days when I do see backpackers because I don't think backpacking will ever exist the way it used to, because backpacking used to be you go with your backpack and you trek and you travel and you knock on a door to get somewhere to stay. But often they say, no, sorry, we don't have anything. So you go to the next door and you knock again. But nowadays you have a smartphone on you and it's like you almost like pre-plan your whole backpacking trip. So the the mystery has gone. The mystery yeah. is gone. So I, I love the mystery. What am I going to find? Uh, it's definitely gone from uh, your type of backpacking there, Melo. Yeah. Now, one of the things you mentioned before, and I think moment by moment, um, that when you're traveling, you take moment by moment, but uh, probably when Jack and myself are talking about, you know, things that are going on in our life, and I'm sure other listeners can resonate as well, that it's a lot easier to say that than actually live it. You know, when you've got so much going on and you're so busy, how do you actually slow down and just be present? And I know you are massive with your mindfulness and the way you talk and your stories and things like that for people out there that may struggle. And I know I have for a long time to be present and that's just, a, a just to be in the moment with whoever I'm with, not thinking about what I did this morning or what's going to happen in the future, but just moment by moment, it really hit a chord with me. What are, what are some really easy ways that, uh, you know, you speak about and you help people to achieve that because it's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not. And especially in this fast moving world that we live in you know, these days, we, we live in a world where I was reading somewhere recently that we take in more information in one day than somebody in the 15th century would take in a whole year. Wow. It's like, it's like 276 newspapers of information that we're just bombarded with, you know, all day long. So it does take discipline. It does take practice to actually 
to, to stay present, to be in the moment. So the way that I teach it, typically there's a few things. There's research says that 47% of the time, our mind is elsewhere. It goes off somewhere else. It's thinking about tomorrow, thinking about yesterday, thinking about what we have to do. So we have to train our mind to be present. And the two main ways that I teach it is what's called a formal practice and the non-formal practice. And I'll, I'll share those you know quickly here. So the formal practice is basically stopping, pausing, you know, closing your eyes. Typically what you resonate as a meditation is you know what you associate with meditation so it can be 10 minutes it can be five minutes it can be 20 minutes i personally do two lots of 20 minutes every day so i start my day with a 20 finish my day with a 20 minute practice and i also do little ones throughout the day and i have not missed one single day for 30 years not one okay, single how? day that's, that's a, yeah. it's a discipline that i hold every day but i don't expect everyone to be like that so what i share is like if you can just get 90 seconds to yourself, you know, a 90 second breath break. So I, I ask them to stop, pause. If you can, where you are, close your eyes and just follow your breath for 90 seconds, you know, in and out, follow your breath. Ideally you breathe deeper into the belly. So we deactivate the stress response and we activate what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, the opposite of the fight and flight. So if we can breathe slowly for 90 seconds, it helps us to become present with ourselves. There's two things that are always in the present moment. One is the breath and the other is the body. So we actually use our body as an anchor and we use our breath as an anchor. So that's super simple, 90 seconds. And the reason I say that is training. Like it is training. It's like saying, you know, you want to go run a marathon next month, but you don't go running. You know, it's like, it's like the same, the same thing. Yeah, it's the same thing as mind training. It's exactly the same as mind training. You want to you want to get stronger in your mind, but you don't do any training. And you read all the books about mindfulness, and you do all the, you know, you read all the courses, and you listen to all these podcasts, but you don't actually do it. So you actually have to practice it. So my first invitation is just to get a few lots of ninety seconds in your day. So it might be in the morning when you wake up. It might be when you're feeling a bit stressed. You've got too many windows open on your computer, and you're getting all scattered. It's like stop, pause, follow your breath. And the more you do this, the more you'll train your mind to be present. And you might notice that your mind's busy. You might notice that it's, there's all sorts of stuff going on, but that's the whole idea of it, to notice it, yeah. And we'll talk about that part in a moment. The second part um, is also the non-formal practice. So the non-formal practice is actually doing all those things that you do in your day, but you pay more attention to it. Now, if you think about your day, all of those things that you just do in default mode, you know, you get up, you shower, you brush your teeth, you have breakfast quickly, you rush out the door, you drive your car, you do all of these things, but you do them in automatic pilot and you don't notice them. So what we do when we do the non-formal practice is I usually say to my clients, choose one, just choose one thing and just stick to that one thing. It might be eating, you know, instead of eating in front of the computer, you're just eating. It might be showering. I often say in my seminars, you know, when, you, when you're in the shower, having a shower, are you really saying, mm, I love my lime and coconut shampoo this morning? <laughs> it smells amazing. Or, or are you like, are you already out the door? Are you already thinking about the million things that you have to do? So, so the, the reason I say this is because the way you do something is the way you do everything. Now, people say to me, so what? What's the big deal if I shower in a rush? So what? What's the big deal if I eat in a rush? The way you do that is the way you do everything. So if you can't keep focused on your meal for two minutes or five minutes, how can you keep focused in life? How's that's, that? Uh, yeah, that's so interesting. Like 
I think for me personally, I know that, and I, I reckon we're pretty similar. Like, <laughs> not reckon we would be. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I personally, I love meditation, and I, I had a coach um a long time ago now, but his wife, so Paul Ruse and Tammy Ruse, his wife, was huge on meditation, and I just yeah. remember like, because my mind just goes all the time, like twenty four seven. I'm flying yeah. around and you know, so much stuff going on. Um, I'll, I'll never forget, like when she came in and we were doing it consistently, how easy it was for me to be able to turn off all that crazy stuff going on, on in my head and sit down for 20 minutes. She'd take us through like guided meditations. And and I just remember the feeling afterwards, after a 20-minute meditation, it was like I was superhuman. You know, I, I was relaxed. I was calm. I wasn't stressed. I'd get in the car and instead of, you know, trying to weave in and out of the lanes, I'd sit, uh, you know, I was present and I could just drive home. And, um, but I know that I'm very like being disciplined with it is the thing that I struggle with the most. And so, um, you know, once that sort of structure was taken out for me, I, I, I'm really sporadic with it now. So what, what what can you do to sort of, you know, I guess it's just personal discipline, really, isn't it? It's like he just, wants a magic pill. Yeah, where's, where's the, where's the yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, it is it is about being aware of your thoughts, really. Like a, a lot of people aren't even aware. So the very first step is self-awareness. What does it get busy with? So typically, probably both of you guys, when you stop and you pause, the mind just explodes with all these ideas and all these things. And it's a matter of like putting them in their place. So a lot of people like to distract themselves from their thoughts. A lot of people actually don't like what they see or what they hear in their mind. So they distract themselves with more work. I can't tell you how many clients that I have that listen to a podcast to go to bed mm-hmm. or every time they're doing something, they're just on all the time because what they're doing is distracting themselves from their thoughts because they probably don't like what their thoughts are. They don't they don't really like what they are hearing. So the first invitation is for for everybody that I share is to actually turn towards your thoughts, to develop a relationship with your thoughts, to get to know what's going on up there. So, and typically when you do first stop and when you do first start out in meditation practice, it's going to be chaos up there. It's going to (laughs) be just a whole mess of like a wild animal just running around. But once you start sort of taming that and getting to know it, oh, oh, there's a planning thought. Okay. So when you're sitting, a little thought will pop up. Oh, there's another thought that just goes. So what we do is to actually acknowledge the thought, but gently let it go Mm. instead of attaching to it and following the thread. And what will happen over time is the space between the thoughts will become bigger and longer. Yeah, so here comes a thought. Okay, okay, let that one go. We'll just let that one be there in the background and there'll be a space. And here comes another thought. Okay, maybe you might want to label it. Oh, that's a planning thought. Okay, we can let that go now. It's just a planning one. Oh, here's a, here's a thought about my kids. Okay, here's another one. And the space between the thoughts becomes bigger. That's the magic pill. You know, getting, hey, it, hey, getting it. Yeah. How much do you think phones... Um, because I know personally, I'm just constantly on my phone, communicating with people, taking information, as you said, Instagram's just insane for me. Um, And it's it's so ingrained now, like it's it's just habit. So if I'm at home and like we were just speaking about this earlier, if I've got a day or a free hour, I will just feel that with like so much because I, I can you know, on my phone, I can access every person that I know, I can access all the knowledge in the world, I can take in. um, 
And so I think like for me, I know that that's a huge issue. So, and how much do you think that impacts, you know, today's world, sort of the busyness of the mind? Hugely, hugely. It's actually teaching us to be distracted. Mm. It's like anytime you have a bit of quietness, like you might be waiting for a friend in a cafe or you might be waiting. First thing you do, let's just distract myself. Let's just get some instant gratification on my telephone. Let's just fill up my head with some fodder and some stuff and snippets of information. So all it's doing is teaching you the opposite of presence. Mm. It's teaching you how to be distracted. It's teaching you how to take in these little micro sort of moments of, you know, flicking through, you know, Instagram or TikTok or whatever it is. A huge, a huge problem. It really is. I struggle to get some of my clients to divorce that telephone by their bedside. You know, the last thing they do before they go to bed is scroll. The first thing they do when, when they wake up is to actually wake up. But when I do, when I do get that over the line, they thank me forever. They mm. say, oh my God, Melo, my head is so clearer. It's like having a two-hour holiday every morning. I'm present. I'm here. I'm not yeah. flicking through my, my telephone. So it's a huge problem. And, and a lot of people say to me, one of the barriers of meditation or mindfulness is I don't have enough time. But mm-hmm. then the first then they thing got, they do when they have their break is they pick up their phone and there's 20 <laughs> minutes gone. It's they've like, got nine and a half hours screen time. They have 90 <laughs> seconds. You want 90 seconds. With that, Mellow, boredom. Yeah. Boredom's uh, nearly extinct. You know, like we talk about animals that are nearly gone. Well, so it's boredom because <laughs> boredom is one of the most important things ever because when we're bored, yeah. it allows us to be creative. Um, yeah. But we don't allow ourselves to be bored because we don't have a chance. Down, yeah, I call it downtime. Yeah, downtime. like it's just downtime. Yeah, it's just like it's not even in our vocabulary anymore. Mm-hmm. Downtime does not exist anymore. But we actually need it because that's what that's when we process information. That's when actually our mind actually processes. If we're just filling it up with stuff all the time, is you know we we've got a break. We've just been cognitively working, let's say, and then we get a break and we start scrolling. It's just more stuff. But when we process our information, so downtime for me or meditation practices or anything, going for a slow walk or a gentle walk without being plugged into something is an opportunity for you to process information. Because what happens in your day, just to talk a little bit through the brain frequencies, is our mind is in beta mode all of the time when we're working. So we're planning, problem solving, thinking, cognitively thinking, logically, analytically thinking, it's on. So it's actually oscillating at like, 14 to 40 hertz it's like if it was a, if it was a drum it'd be like bang 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 it'd be like you know that it's just just going non-stop and most people's minds never turn off yes you know, they, they, they just never switch off so when we drop into a meditation practice or we get some downtime or we allow ourselves to be bored like you said dale we actually get out of that busyness and we drop into what's called alpha and theta states and alpha and theta states the brain is then oscillating right down to like seven hertz so that's more like boom 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 and in that space that's when creativity comes that's when new ideas come that's where we process information our hippocampus stores information gets rid of the stuff that we don't want you know keeps the stuff that we do want but most of the time we're just in beta all the time boom 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 and there's no room for that a good example is you know you go you go have a shower or you go to the bathroom or you go for a walk and you just have some downtime and you come out and say Oh my God, I just got this great idea because <laughs> ideas come from that space. Ideas come. My wife does it all the time. She gets off the toilet. She's going to kill me if I say this. <laughs> <laughs> I got this great idea. I got this fantastic idea. Let's go, let's go horseback across the Gobi Desert. Yeah, great. Let's go do it. Okay. So ideas come from stopping and slowing down. It's mm. a good place to be. 
I was going to say, is that why I have all my genius ideas in the middle of the night when I wake up and I'm sort of still half asleep? And yeah, that's, that's when it comes to me. Yeah. Yeah, we drop through those states in, in at bedtime, but most of us are so exhausted. You know, we're in beta, beta, beta all day long, and then we drop into what's called delta. Delta is asleep. You're exhausted, but then you start waking up at like two or three or four in the morning. You start processing mm. information. So what mindfulness and meditation and downtime does, if you do that through the day, you're doing these little mini downloads. So at night, you actually don't have to do that big, massive download, which probably wakes you up. So mm. it just helps you to keep that balance through the day. So true. And we know how important sleep is. Um, one of the things yeah. with mindfulness, Mallow, there's nearly 200 dif- definitions of what it is. Do you know what I mean? It's like play. There's no one definition because it means different things to different people. I'm uh, yeah. doing a big research project this year with Latrobe Uni around, I used to call it play-based mindfulness, but they're calling it active mindfulness. Um, for yeah, you, okay. do you find, because... I, I don't mind meditating. I, I can stop and breathe and things like that. But for me, I find I'm most present when I'm doing something and that might be walking or, and I deliberately don't take my device with me or at the gym or, you know, actively moving my body. Um, What's, yeah. you, you know, there's so many options out there for people. Do you, is that something that, you know, when you're coaching or you're working with executives or hiring people that they struggle because they think the one mindfulness exposure they've had isn't for them but there's so many options isn't there yeah i try to keep it really simple like really simplify the complex you know, mindfulness can sometimes be over complicated mm. people can sometimes try to i remember working one i work in psychiatric clinics and i remember working in a psychiatric clinic and one of the head psychiatrists just gave me her latest book on mindfulness for depression and anxiety it was well researched it was really well done lots of case studies in there but it was 54 chapters long. It was like, oh my God, I'm into mindfulness and I was confused. It was like, this is <laughs> I was giving you anxiety just before you even read it. <laughs> <laughs> which is great. That's sort of the clinical sort of applications of it, which is fantastic. And it does great work. I really try to keep it simple and I really try to find what will fit that person. So if someone someone is more active, sometimes some gentle activity is a good way to go. Sometimes when I'm working with high anxiety clients and um or ADHD or something like that, I actually get them to move their body to guide their breath. So I get them to do certain movements that will actually help them to find their breath. Because the last thing you want to get them to do is to sit immediately because there's just too much energy. Sometimes you have to burn some of that energy or move some of that energy. So it's not a one size fits all. Mm. And it's the same as and it's the same as breathing techniques, to be honest. You know, there's a whole big movement right now around breath work, you know, around, you know, the Wim Hof method, which is fantastic. I agree with it. I think it's great, but I don't think it's a one size fits all. So I, what I do is I find what will fit that client and you know, it's quite special. It's like, it's like a meal. Not everyone likes to eat fish or not everyone likes to eat chicken or so same as like breathing techniques. So it might be for someone, it might be a slower exhale for somebody, for somebody else. It might be the box breathing for someone else. It might be the more, um, uh, snatching in breaths for, for example someone else might need different grounds so i sort of see what will fit them uh, but the main thing is like mindfulness on its most simplistic level is attention training and and accessing a present state of awareness that's all it is a present state of awareness so however however you can access a present state of awareness the best compliment you could ever give somebody in life is your full attention mm-hmm. your that's full attention lovely that, isn't it that's, that's so true i mean mm. it's the most like on one side of it, it's like the most attractive thing when you're talking to someone and they are fully engaged and giving you yeah. 
and then on the other hand it's like when someone's looking away and they're oh. sort of it's like what am i doing wrong yeah. here like, what, like is it me not worth your time yeah breath? yeah like, exactly did i stink it's um, <laughs> you've got it you, it's such a it's a training it isn't it it's like it's yeah um, working on it constantly to, yeah i'm not yeah my, my secret to coaching i'm giving away my secret here right well, you're my, giving away a lot you've got your wife on the toilet <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. My secret <laughs> to coaching, the, the very first secret to my coaching basically is show up. Like, and that doesn't mean show up and turn the Zoom screen on. That means like show up fully present. So before I see any client or go run any seminar or do any workshop, I do my own practice for a couple of minutes just to really sort of center myself and ground myself. And then I show up fully for that person. And that does take work. It does take discipline. It does take training to show up at every single you know, session. So I'm often running back to back, not, not back to back, but I leave a little gap, but I'm often running, let's say I'm running a, a corporate seminar to a, you know, a group of leadership, a leadership team. And then I'm running a mental health workshop and then I'm running a, um, a corporate executive and then I'm, I'm coaching an Olympic athlete. So they're very different energies and they're very different people and they require different resources the worst thing I can do is just sort of go from one to another and bring that energy to the next one. So stopping, pausing, it helps me to reconnect with myself. So then I can show up fully. So that's my, that's my secret to coaching show up. But I know, I know it sounds so simple, but it does take work. It actually does. Yeah. And, and with that, like what you're saying before about everybody's different, you know, different things will work for yeah. different people. It's exactly like our personalities, the way we communicate. You can't just walk in and, for, to like a, an introvert and expect them to get up and be crazy like probably Jack and myself or, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's essentially what you're saying is the skill is reading people, reading what they need. It's the same with building that relationship, communicating um, and forming any bond. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I like to, when I do work, I like to do deep work, obviously, and to, to really get to know somebody. I, I want to connect with them on their values, on their you know, on their purpose, on their vision, on their mission. So that also takes work and discipline to actually, you know, to get to to know somebody. I also like to know, you know, what's their deepest pain? You know, what's the their most challenging situation? So it's not superficial work. It's like it's deep work. And I, I it requires me to be present. Mm. It requires me to, first of all, show up and then also respond to what shows up. Yeah, and I could be working with suicide. I could be working with a whole range of things. So I have to bring my best self to that place, and it's uh, then I'm serving from my best, my best self. I'm really interested to hear you talk a bit more about um, beating burnout, <clears throat> um, because I think for me personally, and um, I know that I probably burn the candle at both ends at times, and um, and then also just with my my mind and my brain, and I, I love to plan things and organize things. And so I'll have, you know, if I have a free week in five minutes, it's all taken up with, um, you know, activities and meeting people and, and all the rest of it. And I sort of, I, on one hand, I love that because I love being busy and I love being yeah. out and about, but I definitely know that, you know, at times it just comes crashing over me and I, I'm so overwhelmed by not having any time to myself. But then at the same time, if I do take a bit of time myself, sometimes I get freaked out and bored and lonely. Yeah. And um, and so I'm sort of always just like teetering on the edge of this. <laughs> Both. Yeah, trying to be busy, but not trying to absolutely smash myself. So um, yeah. are there sort of some tools or some, like what are the important things that you have found over your years of experience that can help with people that are similar to me? <laughs> 
stop the battle first of all stop that inner fight you know sort mm. of be at peace with where you're at is the first thing so the so the very first step is self-awareness that's the the first step it's just being aware on on your mind and things and your thoughts what what is going on you said a key word there that i heard in the middle there where you said overwhelmed you know that that word overwhelmed is just too much like it's just too much going on but sometimes we put ourselves in this overwhelming state because we don't like being idle either. So like I said, I work in psychiatric clinics and I often ask the the people when they come to my programs, the patients, you know, what happened? How did you end up in here? And I do an eight-week program or a six-week program in there. And they say, it was too much. It was just too much. I couldn't take it anymore. I was overwhelmed. So when I hear that word overwhelmed, it's like this overstimulated mind that just can't switch off. So we need to, to tame that and catch that and to be aware of it. So the very first step is self-awareness. And then the second step is self-regulation. What can I do to regulate this? You know, is it a breathing technique? Is it some of my self-care practices? So yes. self-care 101, eating well, sleeping well, exercising, meditating, taking renewal breaks, making sure they're all in check there. And it's not rocket science. It really isn't. Sometimes it's like the most, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> the most simplest thing just to sort of make sure they're in check. So making so sure that you're doing cause... something for your day. Yeah, I think that's such an interesting point because often you'll go searching for reasons when I've just had a, you know, Friday, Saturday out in the piss and haven't slept yeah. at all. And, you know, I'll blame it on, you know, oh, work. Oh, yeah, work. <laughs> or my mate said this. Exactly. Or it's like, maybe you should just get some sleep. And, <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's about balance too. Like, there's nothing wrong with going out and partying, there's nothing wrong with that. But also, you know, get that balance happening after that obviously it's you know having some rest and eating some nourishing food instead of burgers and pizzas and whatever it is so it, it is all about balance but usually what happens the more we get overwhelmed the more we get stressed out the, the busier we get is those self-care practices we let go of ah oh, stuff it i won't go to the gym tonight i'm too busy ah oh, i'll just get takeaway food i won't worry about it. i'll stay up and party whatever it is so usually those self-care practices it's cumulative to, which leads to our burnout but in in reverse, it's actually cumulative, which helps us to prevent burnout. Yeah. So it is about putting those things in check. That uh, it's really been consistent in all aspects. Do you know what I mean? Like what you've been yeah. show up consistently, show up, give people your attention, show up for yourself, show up for things that you know you need to do, like looking after yeah. your body, what you need as your daily routines. It's it, when you talk about it in the way you've said it, Mel. It's like a lot of things we talk about. It's really it sounds so easy, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and burnout, as you know, burnout is the end consequence of, you know, unmanaged stress. So the, the WHO definition of it is, you know, a syndrome that's conceptualized by workplace stress that not has been that has not been successfully managed. So it's cumulative over time. You can take the workplace out. I think it's not a bad definition, but the workplace is not only workplace stress. It can be financial stress. It can be relationship stress. It can be other stressors. So what it is, it's just not being managed over time. And I often say in the work that I do is we need stress. We actually need stress to drive us, to motivate us, to help us achieve our goals, you know, to get out of bed in the morning, to meet those deadlines. But it's a matter of managing it on a daily basis before mm. it turns to chronic stress, before it turns to exhaustion. Because when it comes to burnout, it's it's absolute depleted exhaustion. It's not just I'm tired. It's more like it doesn't matter how much sleep I get, I'm still exhausted. Mm. So burnout is a very different beast to just being tired and stressed. Yeah. And you also feel disconnected from the people around you. You feel disengaged in the work, maybe a bit cynical, maybe moaning a bit more than usual. So those 
you know, criteria of burnout, it's almost the end point where you become dysfunctional. You can't function anymore. So let's catch it early, as early as we can in those early stages when it's just stress, then it's much easier to manage. So that's where I talk about it in the book. I've got a whole range of tips and tricks to help you to, you know, catch it in those early stages so we can, before it actually builds into this ugly beast. Yeah. Yeah, so, so true of that. And for people that uh, haven't been, I've been burning out a couple of times. It's, uh, oh, it's not a nice place to be. Um, and I know that's like the worst part. Like that's, <laughs> but there's other things throughout that slowly get you there. And it's being self-aware. Yeah. Um, well, did you know you're burning out, Dale? Uh, did, did you, did you yeah, realize that? I, I did, Mel. I, yeah. I actually, this is when uh, like I was running a fitness business. I was doing boot camps before and after yeah. work. I was building apps late into the night and I was teaching all day. And on the weekends, wow. I'd travel somewhere into a workshop. I knew what was going on because I was constantly getting sick, but I, I couldn't actually stop it. Like yeah. I, I, I don't know. It was the weirdest. Now I'm, I'm well and truly over it. Like I'm aware of things and I've, I live a lifestyle for myself, whereas I couldn't stop it when I was on it, Mellow. Like, and it, yeah. I don't know, it's really yeah. hard to talk about now because I don't know how it got so bad, but then I didn't know how to stop it. No, that's the thing. When I when I did write this book, I actually interviewed over you know 200 leaders and CEOs, executives, also athletes that I coach, including an Olympic athlete also. And 90% of them didn't realize they were burning out until it was mm. too late. It was, they actually hit the end zone. But like you, the other 10% was divided into two camps. One camp was they knew they were sort of, you know, working in this stressful way, but they just couldn't get off. They didn't know, they didn't have the tips or tricks or techniques to actually get off. Or the others actually knew it, but they just pushed on through anyway. They just kept going and ignored ignored the signs. So you, very common that I hear that. So if we can catch it in those early stages, build that self-awareness, we can prevent it even happening in the first place. So one of the worst cases of burnout that I work with, and I've mentioned this in a couple of other podcasts lately, is um, is one of the guys I was working with, you know, multi-millionaire, you know, running multiple businesses around the world, working across multiple time zones. So he's doing the UK, US, and Australian time zone. So like you, staying up all night, working, you know, crazy hours. He wore it as a badge, like. Yeah, look how busy I am. I'm so busy. I'm working <laughs> I late hours. Yeah, I worked on the concert <laughs> lounge. I worked on the aeroplane. Then I got to my destination, worked at LAX airport. And then I went to that lounge and I worked there. Sometimes no sleep at all, like none, mm. like totally. So his circadian rhythm was like totally out of whack. His melatonin and um, serotonin production was out of whack. And then his body said, uh-uh, I'm not doing this anymore. And it totally shut down. He got multiple organ failure liver pancreas spleen started shutting down his body stopped producing testosterone stopped producing all the essential hormones and chemicals he was in intensive care for weeks like, like nearly dead life support system and then he was in hospital for months wow. so wow. yeah it's so an extreme case that's extreme yeah. that that's extreme though mellow yeah that's i wasn't that bad but that's like, yeah, it's not a comparison yeah. that's, that's horrible hearing that it's horrible, but he he knew it. He knew he was doing that. He knew yes. that it was but he was actually just thought, I'm just going to keep going, keep pushing. And so many people do. Entrepreneurs, you know, sometimes they're overly passionate about their work. They love their work so much. I'm passionate about my work too. I love what I do, but I make sure that I find the balance so I can actually, you know, do serve better, like I was saying before. But sometimes we're our own worst enemies and we just keep pushing and pushing and pushing. Athletes also, I believe, you know, fair a fair few of your crew crowd here are athletes and it's also the same a good athlete 
knows how to have active recovery. A good athlete knows how to renew their energy. A good athlete knows how to find that balance in their day. Otherwise, it's like, you know, sport, 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 party, 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 and all that sort of thing. And then the, the end consequence is burnout. You can do it when you're younger. You can get away with it when you're younger, but it does catch up with you. That's such. Uh, that's an interesting um, comment. Like, is that a, is that a scientific thing that you can definitely get away with it a lot easier <laughs> when you're younger? Because reminiscent. But I can certainly remember, like in my twenties, you know, it was um, yeah, it was so much easier to, you know, whether it, whether it was not getting a lot of sleep or you know um, pushing the boundaries or whatever it is, and then back it up at training. I could do that yeah. so much easier back then. Um, and I, I really want to talk about as well that what you said before about, you know, wearing this sort of um, no sleep overworking as a badge of honor. Like I find that so interesting because, um, you know, I've certainly not seen that in during my life. I've probably gone yeah. through it myself at times. And then now like dr- doing a lot more research and reading a lot about things like just how valuable rest and sleep and how much that affects your brain and your body and how you function and how much you can, you know, your um, level of output. It's like, I wish I knew that back when I was, you know, 20 and and I'm probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And here in Australia, if you ask somebody, how are you? The first response is busy. Yeah, I'm busy. And that's usually <laughs> what they say. Bit on. Yeah, busy. Yeah. <laughs> Is that busy good or busy bad or busy not? Um, it's a it's a badge. Like it's like I'm busy, and they 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 equate busyness to being productive mm. and to you know improve their performance. But most of the time, what we actually need to do to be more productive is actually stop and pause. The research says that we can only really work in ninety minute to two hour areas of peak performance. So when you're optimally using your mind and your body and your brain. 90 minutes to two hours. After two hours, your attention starts waning. You start making mistakes. You start making errors. You know, your cognition starts waning. Your ability to problem solve and plan is compromised. So if you're not taking a break every two hours, then you're not working optimally. Mm-hmm. So I, it takes a while for me to get it over the line with some of the busy you know, executives that I work with because they think busy is productive. But once I do, their next two hours will be more productive. Mm-hmm. You know, if they stop for five minutes or two minutes then they have you know sprints of productivity punctuated by rest and renewal breaks it's one of the biggest invitations that i get them to do first of all going back to your question ages ago about mindfulness is just stop just yes. punctuate your day with a couple of like little commas and full stops where you just stop pause and then reset your focus and then your next 2 hours will be more productive and stop without your phone and- yeah with without yes. the device <laughs> now yeah, Mello, totally. now Mello, i know i'm aware of the time and uh, you're a busy man mm-hmm. one thing I want to talk to you about, and it's a personal question sort of again is um, I speak to you a lot. I know you very well. Um, and I know the stats in your book. I personally, if you had told me to slow down or that I was going to burn out, is going to be a bad thing. I don't think I would have, I wouldn't have listened until I actually went through it. Sometimes yeah. like I, I would have had, I had to go through that to realize that I need to change something. Is that something you see a lot of? Oh, definitely. Yeah. It, yeah. It goes back to that self-awareness piece. You can't change what you don't notice. Mm. So you have to notice it first. You have to actually you know, see it, sometimes experience it, or at least see somebody else experience it. 
I haven't experienced a mental um, burnout. Like I, I get tired, of course, and I reset my focus. I have experienced a physical one where I was where I was cycling around the world. I mentioned it in my book there, and my body just shut down. I said, uh-uh, "I'm not doing this anymore." I was crossing Monument Valley there, where um, where where Forrest Gump stopped running, actually. So, <laughs> yeah, so sure, it was see. only five five hundred meters short of that. My body said, uh-uh, "I'm not doing this anymore." So um. Yeah, so so basically, I experienced a, a physical one. I, I thought to myself, I don't want to experience a mental one, so I want to train my mind. I learned long ago that training the mind was as important, if not more important, than training the body. Yeah, so I, I do them parallel. I learned that through martial arts. So I originally got into um, meditation and mindfulness through Shaolin Kung Fu, and I still practice it. So I learned that very well. So training the mind is important, but sometimes we. We just think we're superhuman. Sometimes we just think we're pushing on through. I, I coach a lot of senior senior surgeons, for example, senior medical professionals. And getting back to what Jack was talking about before is when they're in their 20s and 30s and 40s, no problem. They just kept working these 80-hour shifts. They, they were working hard. They could get through it and they could you know rest and recover a bit and go the next day. But nowadays they're in their 50s and 60s and they're still trying to do the same amount of workload you know, with the limited capacity of their body and, you know, their metabolism and everything. And it's a whole different, you know, ball game. So we need to be mindful of that too. We need to, you know, tune into that. I'm now in my 50s also, I'm mindful of, you know, my energy, my capacity. I'm mindful of, you know, I'm not 20, not a young buck anymore, not in my 20s, I can get away with it all. So um, <laughs> yeah, it is about listening to it. The analogy I use, Dale, to get back to what you were saying is is often, it's like driving the car. Yeah, yep. you're driving the car and and the oil light comes on. Ah, oh, stuff the oil light. Don't worry about that. Uh, keep <laughs> driving. The petrol gauge says, "Hey, there's no petrol." Exactly like that. You just keep trying to drive and keep pushing, but then what's going to happen? The car's going to break down. Same as us. If you mm. keep ignoring the signs, so true. You, that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So, <clears throat> so true. Now, Mallow, I don't know, Jack. Have you got anything else, or is there something, Mallow, that you reckon we've missed today? That uh, from particularly like where people are at the moment, you know, uh, I find the world, it's a lovely place, particularly the weather's saying it nice, but it's a different change place uh, from, you know, one that we used to know before a, a certain COVID in, individual came in and changed it. Is there something that people need to know that you've noticed recently, particularly this year, transitioning back into the real world? Yeah, we're having trouble with that social connection. You know, what mm. what hurts me a lot when I'm going out now, I'm doing a lot more seminars now in, in the room, in the workplace, a lot of keynote speaking and a lot of uh, you know, workshops. And I'm, I'm noticing people are tired. People are exhausted. When I look around the room, I look around, I can see, God, you're exhausted. God, you're tired. And I'm also noticing a lot of you know cynicism, a lot of negativity. Mm. So so to add a layer to mindfulness, you know, once you start, you know, looking after yourself and, and working on that mindfulness practices, also to be mindful and be grateful, you know, of what is around. Mm-hmm. Be grateful of what you do have. Be grateful of the people around you. Make connections again or reconnect with people. You know, one of my mottos, and I think it's similar to you, Dale, is like, how can I make someone's day today? You know, how can I make how can yeah. I make their day amazing and special? And more we do that, we spend those, you know, spread those ripple effects of kindness. So, you know, being mindful of that because I'm noticing people are very disconnected. So we need to reestablish those connections, first of all, with ourself. And that's why the mindfulness practice are important. Reestablish that connection with your deeper self and then share that with others. You make it you make it sound so easy, but 
Realistically, <laughs> it is, you know, when you put the work in and everything like that. Now, Mello, people are listening here. They want to get Beating Burnout, Finding Balance, the ultimate book from a great publisher in Wiley as well. Um, where can we get the book? But more importantly, where can we reach out to start the discussion about getting you to speak for our workplace, maybe some one-on-one coaching, because you offer so much. Where's the best way to do that, mate? Yeah, simply through my website, mellocalaco.com. I'll, I'll share, you can probably put it in your show notes there. Yep. But also, you know, if, if anybody wants to try the book out, I can share with you a, a link for a sample chapter. So a sample chapter, totally free, which is actually all about self-awareness. It's exactly what we've been talking about today. And in that sample chapter, I talk about an experience where... Um, I had to meditate for 12 hours to actually survive a storm. So I was calling I a storm. I remember that yeah. one. Yeah. So a great way to start. So I'll share that. I'll share that with your listeners there. Jump on there. Jump on your on the website, mellocalaco.com, and you can uh, get a sample chapter, try it out, and uh, try out some free meditations on there too. Happy to support wherever I can. I'll certainly be buying the book after <laughs> this uh, session. That's for sure. I might even give you a call, Mellow. I think you could help me a fair bit. <laughs> uh, you're, my, you're in my two, I like two hard basket clients. <laughs> <laughs> what you need to do, Jack, is become good friends with Mellow and then you can just ring you him and just give him a call and dump him. <laughs> yeah, let's about start with a lunch. Let's start with a lunch or a coffee or something like that and kick it off from there that'd be great sounds like a plan yeah well we love it well mellow thanks so much and uh for listeners episode number seven we'll have links in the show notes to obviously reach out to mellow say g'day where to buy his book and also just to read that sample chapter and um also if you are listening and you know something mellow mentioned today uh you'd like us to dive in more to um because we're going to try and get mellow on here every couple of months and have a topic uh, because I don't think there's anyone better in the game than yourself, mate. And just talking to you, I love your stories. And I think that's why people can relate to you so well, because you're not just giving data or facts. You've actually lived it and you make it engaging. Um, and I know that's why over the years I've gravitated to you since we've known each other. So um, if you are listening to this, reach out to Mellow. But more importantly, if there's something you want to know more about, let us know, because yeah. that's what we'll make a whole episode around. So Mellow, thanks so much. Uh, really appreciate it. Great, man. Pleasure. I look forward to more. Sounds. I like that idea. Ask Mellow sessions. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> all the good nuggets today. <laughs> Stay well, guys. Look after Mello. yourself and uh, all the best, everybody. <clears throat> See you later.